In the famine here, Joseph is uh, being reacquainted with his brothers. God is mending hearts and fences and also establishing his word as prophetic things come to pass. Uh, chapter 43, we're going to see uh, one step closer to them being uh, shown that Joseph is in fact still alive and that he is the man that they are standing before. Uh, we're not going to quite get there in chapter 43, but uh, God continues to set things up. So Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for Genesis, the beginnings of all things from creation to the nation of Israel, uh, to your plan for mankind. Father, all of these things, Lord, they speak to us and they challenge us. Uh, Father, I pray that these verses come alive tonight by the Holy Spirit, that each of us, Lord, would not just hear the words of man, but Holy Spirit, you would uh, un unwrap and, and just uh, take these principles and drive them deep in our hearts tonight. Father, that we know once you tuck your word in our heart, it's in there for eternity. So that's a miracle we ask for tonight as we study and we, uh, we uncover and we unwrap. Lord, tuck it in us for eternity so that it changes the way we think and we feel and we live. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Genesis chapter 43, uh, 34 verses. Should we like... Knuckle bump next week. Hip check. Genesis 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, so it came about when they had finished eating the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. Judah spoke to him, however, saying, The man solemnly warned us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Then Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, The man questioned particularly about us and our relatives, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his questions. Could we possibly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to his father Israel, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, we as well as you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry down to the man as a present, a little balm and a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh and pistachio nuts and almonds, and, double the and take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and arise, return to the man, and may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man, that he may release to you your older brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the man took the present, and they took double the money in their hand, and Benjamin, and they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his house steward, bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. 
So the man did as Joseph said and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time that we are being brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for slaves with our donkeys. So they came near to Joseph's house steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house and said, O oh my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. And it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks, and behold, each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full. So we have brought it back in our hand. We have also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. And he said, Be at ease, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Then the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys fodder. So they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they were to eat a meal there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present, which was in their hand, and bowed to the ground before him. Then he asked them about their welfare and said, Is your old father well, of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed down in, in homage. As he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out. For he was deeply stirred over his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and he controlled himself and said, Serve the meal. So they served him by himself, and then by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment. And he took portions to them from his own table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. So they feasted and drank freely with him. The famine doesn't let up. Now notice, they got one of their brothers cooling off in a jail cell. He's cooling his heels, old Simeon, but nobody's going to get him. They're kind of stalling here. The grain runs out, and again, they try and stretch it. They wait as long as they can, but the grain runs out, and they're in dire straits again. Uh, we noted that you know starvation was something that people uh, in the land were dealing with, and it's a painful, demoralizing way to die. It's a slow way to die, and it grabs the attention of everyone. There's nothing like an empty belly to get your attention. You know, like when you pick a couple days to fast and two hours into your fast, you're usually not hungry until hours later, but you're dreaming about food already? Right, Jules? <laughs> and so an empty belly is a, is a powerful motivator, and it's literally all you can think about when you're that hungry and the food runs out. Jacob instructs his sons in verses 1 and 2 to go back and buy a little food. Now, Jacob is hedging and he's stalling and he doesn't want to deal with the issue here. So he just kind of tells them to go back. But, you know, they can't go back. Even though Simeon's in the Egyptian prison and he's there, the, the, the brothers are not willing to go back because they've got to stand in front of Joseph. 
Now, did you notice over and over in the text what they call Joseph? The man, over and over again, the man, the man, the man, the man. The first one to be oppressed by the man was Jacob and his sons. You know, this man that they were like, he's in charge of everything. He has complete control. And uh, they keep referring to him as the man because they don't know that it's literally their brother. Wow. What an interesting situation. They are not willing to go back and stand before the man unless they have their little brother Benjamin with him. Uh, you know, and that's the last thing that Israel wants to do. That's the last thing Jacob wants to do. He, he doesn't want to send any more of his kids, but you know, they're hungry. So Judah speaks up in verse three and he reminds Jacob that they have to face the man, Joseph. And he, he, they were warned not to come back without Benjamin. So it's not Reuben who speaks up. This time it's Judah. Verses four and five, the only way the brothers are going back is if Benjamin goes with them. They're not going any other way. He said, if thou will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him with us, we will not go down for the man is unto us. He shall, uh, we shall not face him except our brother is with us. So they are kind of petrified of Joseph. You know, Jacob didn't stand before him, didn't feel the intensity of the situation. They realized there's a lot going on there. They're not quite sure what it is, but they are unwilling. They're, and basically they're saying, we're, we're going to sit here and starve rather than face the man again. What a situation. You know, Jacob has to give a little bit here. The sons are, you know, at this point, almost playing hardball with them. They don't want to go. If you send Joseph with us, we'll go. If not, we're, we're staying here. These brothers have been, uh, you know, you can tell they have been tormented by the fact that they have to face this guy again, that one of their brothers is still there. Now in verse six, Jacob is running out of choices. Have you ever not wanted to do something in life, but you've run out of choices? Come on. And you stall as long as you can, but eventually, you know, there are things in life we have to face. There, there's an old adage, why put off to tomorrow, which you can avoid doing altogether? <laughs> I think that was Groucho Marx, <laughs> right? It's like, we like to avoid stuff that is uncomfortable for us. And, you know, they've avoided it as long as they can, but now the hungry belly is the motivator there. And Jacob's running out of choices. He knows what, has to do, what he has to do, and uh, he's not really happy with it. Um, it says, Israel said, wherefore have you dealt so badly with me? And tell me that the man wants to see your brother. So he, he, basically, he knows he's got to send his son, and he doesn't want to send his favorite son because he already lost the other son of his favorite wife. And he knows he has to do it, but he's mad about it. So the gloves come off. Why have you treated me so badly? Why have you done this to me? And basically he starts tearing into them, you know, because he's upset and his back is up against the wall. He's between the proverbial rock and the hard place. And now he has to do the very thing he didn't want to do. <laughs> have you ever been there? You know, God knows how to find the, the, the sticking place of our faith, the, the sticking place of our consecration, where God, I'll give you all this, but not this. Maybe it's some secret sin. I'll, I'll let you control every part of my life, but not this part. And, and, and God hones in on that one thing that we don't want to surrender. Why? Because that, that's the breach of our consecration. That's the idol that's between us and him. 
And, you know, this is a hard spot for Jacob. I'm not being hard on him. He doesn't know all of what's going on. He didn't get to read the end of the chapter and the end of the story. He's just upset. His, his kids are being plucked away from him, so it seems, one by one. But the gloves come off, and he lets the brothers know he's disappointed with them. You know, honesty is a good thing in the family, and, and not being honest and not saying what you need to say sometimes can create more trouble than if you were just honest, but he's honest here. He's upset with these guys. Why have you treated so, me so badly? Why did you tell him that you had a brother? And, you know, they, they, they kind of relate to him that, you know, this guy kind of knew stuff about us. He kind of knew the right questions to ask. You know, it's almost like, he, you know, he read our mail. <laughs> now, they don't understand what's going on, but they're just thinking, Dad, you didn't stand in front of this guy. You know, he was, he was on point. He was intimidating. Uh, you know, we weren't ready for it. We told him what he wanted to know, and we had no idea he was going to say, oh, yeah, you got another brother, bring him back. I mean, where did that come from? So uh, verse 7 is interesting as they relate the fact that uh, Joseph questioned them in that way, and he knew things that they don't know how he knew. Uh, so as you look at that verse, you realize that, you know, they have no idea it's their brother, but they know something is not right with this situation. Now, in verses 8 through 10, it's Judah that steps up, not Reuben. Remember, Reuben said, you know, I'll, I'll be responsible. You, you can count on me. I'll bring Benjamin back. And if I don't bring Benjamin back, well, you can, you can take my kids out. So Reuben's consolation prize to a grieving father was you, you get to kill your grandsons. Good idea, Reuben. Reuben's not even in the mix this time. We're going to see when it's time to hand out the blessing. Reuben does some stuff that Jacob lets him have it. Reuben doesn't get a very good blessing when Jacob uh, is, is giving out the blessings. He's named after a tasty deli sandwich, but that's all he's got going for him. So, you know, Reuben is not even in the mix. He's the, he's the oldest but he's not in the picture. Why? Bad judgment, bad track record. In, in Jacob's mind, you got us into this mess, Reuben. So the other brother, Judah, he steps up and he tells his father, you know, I'll be responsible for Benjamin's welfare. Now, Jacob had two choices, sign off on the trip or watch his family starve to death. It's a rough spot, isn't it? You know, there are times when you say, well, why would this happen to a Christian, you know, or God's people? Many times we think, why does this happen to me? I'm a Christian. Why should I go through stuff like this? You see, it's the hardships and the crises of life that really bring the dross out in us so God can purify us. It's the hardships and the, the confusing moments of life where we really learn to hear him and trust him and watch how he works things out. Could you imagine if you never went through anything and you never saw God move on your behalf? If you're never in a hard spot and you've never watched God come through, come on. You know, I know we like to just sail through life all happy, clappy with goosebumps and just on the good ship lollipop, but that's not what we signed up for. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said, you know, carry your cross. So, you know... You look at some of this and you're like, why is God allowing this, you know, to happen? You know, the God that can just, you know, rain manna from heaven, he could have supplied food, but no, they're going through this whole ordeal here. Judah steps up. It's a hard spot. He, you know, he says we could have made two additional trips, dad, pretty much if you hadn't stalled this long, you know, we're out of food. We could have been back and forth there two more times. And so, you know, it's a situation where he has to give them permission and he does. Now, the thing with uh, 
Jacob here is you see, he's afraid to let Benjamin go. Say fear. Fear is a non-productive way to deal with any situation in life. Do we believe that? Fear is not a productive thing. You know, people get afraid and they fall apart and they panic and then they make bad decisions. Do you realize when you get afraid and you panic, you make worse decisions than if you just kept your composure? Sometimes it's better to just do nothing. Amen? Anybody impulsive? Just, just me? Do something. I got to do something even if it's wrong. Sometimes it's better not to do anything. And they have to do something, but fear is motivating Jacob here. He, he's fear, and he's, avo- he's in avoidance. I want you to see that the fear led to avoidance. He is not sending them. He stalled the trips. He's, you know, used the food down to the point where it's gone. Now they're in dire straits again. Why? Because he was afraid, and he avoided the situation, and that's not a productive way to do anything in life, especially since we have a God who we can trust to work all things out for us, amen, because he promised he would. So verses 11 through 15, Jacob finally submits to the reality of what has to be done. Uh, For them to survive this famine, he's got to send Benjamin. And so, you know, he does it. It requires a risk. And, you know, at this point, it's either, you know, we sit here and die, or, you know, I take a risk with my favorite son. Remember we said favoritism was in the house. Could it be that God was dealing with that favoritism that Jacob harbored all this time? That, you know, we we talked about that one thing that we won't let go. Had he made an idol out of Benjamin? Wow. Only God knows the answer to that. But, But God does things like that. When we make idols out of things, he's like, give it here. Now it's quiet. Because it's no fun. And, you know, it could be that that's in fact what he's dealing with here, but something is happening in the heart of his people. Each one of them are being dealt with. Now, I do feel sorry for Jacob because he doesn't know what happened to Joseph. He doesn't know that this is Joseph, and the sons know that they, they're getting a little payback for their bad behavior. In the last chapter, they kind of admitted that. Uh, Jacob is still a shrewd customer. He says, okay, if you're going to go back and see the man, he says, here's what you do. I got a plan, and he put a plan into, you know, out for them, and it was a plan that sounded a lot like when he met Esau in the desert. Do you remember when Jacob was on a collision course with Esau, and he knew it was time to pay the piper for stealing his brother's birthright? Well, what did he do? He put together a really nice present for him. Flocks and uh, herds and all kinds of things, and the present came in waves. First a wave of cattle, then a wave more cattle, then presents, and then Jacob himself bowing down. Jacob was a shrewd customer. He knew how to work the system. There's nothing wrong with work in the system as long as we have integrity of heart. We should never try and manipulate people with gifts and uh, kind words and accolades. Have you ever met people who are just manipulative with their words? Yeah, I've had people say, tell me all kinds of things and I'm listening to them and I'm going, you know, you're like listening and really their voice should sound like, <laughs> you snake. You know, oh, and you're just so, and what, and you're ministry and you're just a wonderful pastor. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Unless that's your mother saying that. It's coming. Okay, so 
He knows how to put together a, a really nice package. He knows how to put together a really nice gift, and he does that. And the gift is in three parts. Part one is he says, bring him the best of the land. So they put together a care package of balm and honey and aromatic gum and myrrh and pistachios and almonds. I guess, you know, hey, they were nuts. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, here's this, give us a, give a, a little care package of all our best stuff. Now realize, you might look at that and go, that, I, I wouldn't want any of that stuff. But realize, this is famine. Some of that stuff you can eat. And they're giving it away as a gift. So, you know, they're again, definitely greasing the wheels, definitely trying to, you know, make a bad situation better. Uh, the second part of the gift is he tells them, bring your money and bring more money, bring double money. So if the lavish presents and the, you know, the, the fruit basket and the peanuts don't work, get some cash going. Okay, the second part is the cash. The third part of the gift is this, bring Benjamin as he requested and present Benjamin to him. Give him what he wants. You get this? Jacob is smart. Jacob is trying to grease the wheels. He's trying to make a bad situation better, and he instructs his sons to do what he has told them to do. It worked in the desert with Esau. Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's give it a try again, right? And they do. In verse 14, uh, the smartest part of Israel's plan is actually in verse 14. Uh, and it is basically this. He says, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So, you know, the smartest part of his plan was to ask God for favor, to ask God for mercy. And then in all these things, I'm going to give you the care package. I'm going to give you the money. I'm going to give you the son that you wanted to see. But you know what? In all of this, we need God's favor. And that's what we should always remember. You know, we shouldn't face crises with our own savvy or with our own ideas of how to, you know, manipulate people or, or turn the situation in our favor. We should always ask for the mercy of God. Because I'm telling you, if, you know, if you just send the care package, but you, you're arrogant or there's no humility in it, or you haven't asked God to bless it, it could go south real quick, couldn't it? So the smartest thing any of us could ever do, and the smartest thing that Jacob does here, is he asks for God's mercy and God's favor, that this man, that they don't know who it is, that he, this man would have compassion on them because he's in charge of Egypt, and you know we need God's mercy here, or you know we're in deep trouble. We're either going to starve to death or be put to death, or, be, or all my sons are going to be locked up. We need favor in life more than we realize. You know, some of us, we rely on things that are so unpredictable. Oh, I, I have savings. I have a retirement package. I got a 401k. Come on. Anybody, right? And I, and I got this set aside, and I got real estate. And I, you know, we rely on things, and you know, all of that stuff can, can evaporate in an instant. I mean, I hate to say that. I mean, I'm not, tell, I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't save, and we shouldn't uh, plan for the future, and we shouldn't be wise. We should do all that but we shouldn't rely on that more than we rely on God. Amen. You know, we need favor. Favor, the, the favor of God, listen, th that is the most powerful thing that any of us, favor is more powerful than ability, it's more powerful than wealth, it's more powerful than hard work, it's more powerful than all those things combined. When you have favor, look, I've seen people who serve God, they lost everything, but the favor of God sat upon them and they're blessed and they have more than enough and they have abundant, amen? 
You say, well, it doesn't add up on paper. You know, they didn't save enough or do enough or work enough. How did it work out? Favor. Favor. You and I should always ask for God's favor. God, don't ever say, ask for what I deserve. I, 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 I worked hard. I deserve. Don't ask for what you deserve. I never want what I deserve. I want grace. And so the, the, the favor is a powerful thing. He also is looking for compassion, and that's mercy. Mercy is an important thing, and most of us don't like to admit it, but we need mercy more than we would like to admit, amen? Nobody walking on water around here. It's grace. So Jacob's got a good plan, and he's got the right heart, and he coupled the two together. Now he concludes in uh, verse 14 by whining a little bit. If I'm bereaved of my sons, I'm bereaved. He was a little bit of a drama queen, I gotta be honest here. You know, he wants to let them know he is not happy. And that, you know, his back is up against the wall and it's their fault. And you bereaved me of my sons and you you did this and why have you treated me so badly and why do you spill the beans and what? If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. So he's letting them know I'm not happy with you guys, but you know, have a nice trip. There's honesty there, there's emotion there, and you know, it's part of life. And he lets it go. He whines a little bit and he feels sorry for himself a little bit. And you know, I feel sorry for him a little bit too. Although the way he treated his brother and the way he treated his father, anybody remember that? It's a couple chapters back. We reap what we sow. I said, we reap what we sow. No crop failure for Jacob, no crop failure for Israel. He's still reaping some of that, and it's pretty hard. It's pretty ugly. Verse 15, the sons of Jacob heed their father's counsel. That's a miracle, sons listening to fathers. Father's Day's coming up. Maybe we'll get a little bit of that coming up here. He invites, uh, you know, he lets them go, and they, they take the present, and they listen to his instruction, and they head off for Egypt. Verses 16 through 18, uh, Joseph uh, has contact with his little brother Benjamin for the first time. Now, these are some powerful moments here. These are some emotional moments, and I want you to pick up on that. Come on, you know, as, as, you know, as some, especially with guys, we try and act tough sometimes, but this stuff will choke you up. Amen. You know, I didn't cry during Bambi, but you know, there, there are things that will just tug on your heart. And you know, here's Joseph left for dead, sold by his brothers, and he's about to see his little brother for the first time here. And it is a powerful, powerful moment. Um, he invites the entire group to come. They come down. They have contact with the man. He gets all his estranged siblings to come to his house for a meal. Now, they're nervous about the whole ordeal. They don't know what's going on here. Are we going to his house? You know, and they're like, you know, they're nervous. Is he going to fall upon us? Is he going to jail us? Is he going to kill us? What, what is he going to do here? But they're a little bit, you know, they would have liked to just say, here's Benjamin. Can we have some grain? See you later. You know that kind of quick turnaround right there? There again, what is that? That's fear and it's avoidance. God had bigger plans. They didn't know, but you know, they're afraid. And so at this point, you know, Joseph is not trying to grind them into the dirt here. He's, he, he realizes that they've, they've been through a little bit of anxiety and um, they're nervous about the whole ordeal. Uh, verses 19 through 22, they give an account 
uh, to Joseph about, you know, the money and it was in our sacks and, you know, and he, and he right away, he tells them, you know, be at ease in verse 23. And see, that's the mercy of Joseph there. Joseph could have put them through a lot more hell than he did. And I want you to see the character of Joseph. It, it's, it's a beautiful picture of you know, the mercy of God. It's, it's almost Christ-like in the way that, yeah, we deserve it, but I'm not gonna put it on you. I'm gonna give you grace. Yeah, I could make you sweat. I could make you grovel. I, I could make you, you know, uh, beg, but I'm just gonna be merciful. Isn't that the way God is? God never requires us to sweat or to grovel or to beg or to, you know, he, he is a merciful God. And we see that characteristic in Joseph here. Let's be honest, if some of us were in his spot and this whole band of brothers came in, man, this, this, there would have been more chapters here. Waterboarding. Come on. We look so holy in church. But God help the person who does something wrong to us. The person who cuts us off in line at Walmart. The teeth come out. So Joseph's got a good heart. I want you to see it. He tells him, be at ease. He says, the money, you know, that, that was a gift from the God of your father. There again, you know, he's saying stuff to them and they must be thinking, what is he talking about? How does he know what a Hebrew God, I mean, Jacob, how does he know all this stuff? Be at ease, you know, I had your money. It's good. Don't worry about it. And hopefully they listen to him. He restores Simeon to them. He brings Simeon out of wherever they had him, you know, the back room. And he, he's restored to his brothers. Now, uh, the, the fear and the anxiety here should be greatly diminished at this point. Think about all the worrying these guys did. And in an instant, he said, be at ease. And it was all diffused. Many times we worry about stuff and usually it never even happens. You know, most of what we fear is never going to happen to us. So we're worrying for nothing. And these guys, you know, he made them sweat a little bit, but he tells them to be at ease. Verse 24 through 26, the brothers are treated as guests. Their uh, feet are washed. <clears throat> their animals are fed. A meal is uh, being prepared for them. So things are going pretty good so far. Um, again, you know, they present Joseph the present that, you know, Jacob told them to give. And when they gave it, they bowed down to him. Realize, you know, what was Joseph's dream? You're going to bow down to me. These guys are bowing a whole lot. Okay. I think this is the third time. There's more to come. They bow down to him. And, and there again, that's the fulfillment of the dream. It's a prophetic fulfillment. You know, Joseph wasn't lying. He wasn't making it up. They don't know it's him, but they're bowing to him just like the dream said. So they present the gift, they bow down, uh, he receives it. Now in verse 27 and 28, the, the gift is, you know, the gift is no big deal in a sense, like really Joseph didn't need it, it's no big deal. It doesn't have the impact that maybe Israel was hoping for, but instead Joseph has other things on his mind. He wants to know about his father's well-being. Is my father, he didn't say my father, is your father alive? Yeah, he's alive, that's good. And they bow down to him again because it was nice of him to ask. So here we got some, well, and then they pay homage, it says. So we're getting this uh, dream fulfilled over and over again. Verses 29 through 31, Joseph gets a good look at Benjamin and he blesses him and then he comes unglued and it's too much for him. He's collecting his composure, doing a great job. But at that point, you know, he blesses the young man and, and, and he has to excuse himself. Why? Because he needs to find some place where he can come unglued. 
And he goes and he weeps and he, he, you know, he lets that emotion just pour out of him. And when he's done, he dries off his face, he collects himself and he goes back and they serve the meal. So he, he has great self-control. And you, know, you would say, why is he dragging this out? Because God is orchestrating all of this, not Joseph. If we think this is all Joseph, we're, we're missing the big picture. All, everything that's happening here, God is orchestrating and... <clears throat> It's just, you know, the way God wants all of this to pan out. There are hearts that are being dealt with as this goes on. And <clears throat> Joseph collects himself, comes back in, serves the meal, um, and things continue. Now, in verse 32, we get a little uh, sense of the cultural awkwardness here. The Egyptians saw it as loathsome to eat with the Hebrews. Isn't it amazing? You know, people back in the day didn't eat, they didn't like to eat with anybody unless they were, you know, on the same page with them. You know, the Jews weren't allowed to eat with Samaritans and Gentiles and stuff. And still, you know, I mean, there was a whole lot of that. So, you know, the, the Egyptians were like, you know, these Hebrews, we don't break bread with them. We don't have, you know, our culture is so much different. We'll eat with anybody. Sometimes we'll eat with people if we don't know them, if they're giving us food. <laughs> These guys had some cultural awkwardness here. Joseph is served by himself. The brothers are served by themselves. The Egyptians that were there are served by themselves. <laughs> it's a nice big feast. Everybody's in separate rooms. Hopefully this doesn't look like your holiday table, but, you know, thank you, Sylvia. That was a good laugh there. Somebody like that. And so, you know, at some point here, they all come together. And when everybody gets served here, as we, um, you know, we see in verse 33, he does something very interesting, and it kind of makes them scratch their heads. He seats them in the order of their birth. Did you catch that in verse 33? You know, he, he, he basically, he continues to kind of blow their minds here. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth, and the men marveled one at another. So what, what does he do? He basically said, oh, you're the firstborn, you sit here, you were number two. He, he lines them all up and, he, and they're like, what in the world? This guy get the intel report on us or what? <laughs> he, he got us, he, he bugged our cell phones, what's going on here? They're confused. They're, it's gonna make sense in a little bit. But there again, he's one step ahead of them. He knows stuff he shouldn't know. The, the man is pretty scary. And um, they're freaking out over that a little bit. Verse 34 is the last uh, verse, and I want you to take a look at it. It's serious. Everybody got served, but Benjamin got five times the portion. Wow. You know, could you imagine what that plate looked like? And the brothers and Reuben, and oh, man, what's this little guy gets? Well, everybody gets served, and there's enough food, and there, there's plenty to eat. But he gives that younger brother five. Now, you say, what in the world was that about? Is that, that's because it's his little brother. He loves him. Listen, Benjamin was the only one there who was completely innocent of anything that was done to Joseph. And he kind of he kind of rewards him in a different way. He's being gracious to his brothers who threw him in the pit and gave him to Ishmaelites and sold him into bondage. Yep. But this guy who is completely innocent, who he's my little brother and I love him five times the portion. It's significant and you know that they noticed it and there was there again some anxiety and confusion over what is going on here. The chapter 
ends. Unfortunately, it would be fun to keep going. But uh, next week, God willing, we'll continue. Understand, God is orchestrating all this, and he is making little statements by the actions of Joseph that are going into the hearts of every brother. Every brother knew his level of involvement, his level of guilt, his level of uh, complicit, being complicit, you know, and so uh, all of this is being dealt with and acknowledged. Why? Because God is about to heal it and restore it. Amen. For things to be healed and restored in our hearts, in our homes, in our spiritual life, we've got to first acknowledge it and admit it. What was Jacob's go-to? It was fear and, you know, uh, anxiety and just avoidance. Avoidance is the worst thing we could do. If there are things in our life, things in our relationship with God, things in our marriage, things with our children that need to be restored, we have to allow God to confront them and point out the areas where we need to repent so that restoration can come. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I pray, Lord God, as we concluded that chapter, that that little idea there of us just not avoiding things, I pray for whoever that is tonight, if it's for all of us, if it's for two of us, only you know, Lord. But God, if we're avoiding things and we're in fear and we're staying stuck and we're staying broken and we're tormented by things of the past that are unresolved, Father, I pray that we'd be humble enough to get real with you. And Lord, I know by the Holy Spirit, you'll point out the areas where we're stuck and you'll show us where we need to repent, not to break us, not to humiliate us, not to grind us into the dirt, but Lord, so that we can be restored and forgiven. Father, I pray that as we look at all of these principles here, that we would see the mercy and the humility in Joseph and we would, we would choose to be like him. Father, that when we're in the driver's seat and it's, it's within our means to get our pound of flesh or get even or, or let people know how we feel, Father, that we would choose mercy and take the high road. Father, if there's any mean-spiritedness in us, Lord, take it out because it's not like Jesus. Make us like Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise tonight. Amen.